Welcome to the Austin Action Fest podcast. We focus on filmmaking from idea to distribution and everything in between. We focus on you getting your project in the can and for the world to see. Thank you for listening to the Austin Action Fest podcast. Now let's get cracking. Strategy to see how you could do it on a smaller scale. When it decentralizes, you're still not going to win. The people who were up before will be up again because they're going to know how to rebuild. So, Amen. You know, trying to help. Keep, trying to help. Keep on going. <laughs> <laughs> so let me see here. Uh, Alex. Oh. Hey. Alex Ferrari, the man, the myth, the legend himself. Oh is here with us and we're switching out hosts now we have keys keisha g coming in for the tag out hello <laughs> alex is still on mute yeah he's still he's still muted. he's he's relaxing right now he's getting ready he's getting his he's getting his voice there ready. we are there we are okay. now i can hear you i can see you Awesome. I'm fr- I was fr- I was freaking out yesterday i was just like oh my god is am i late what am i doing What's going on? Is it a 10? Is it 11 p- Pacific Central? I was just like, I can't. I just. Uh, I am so sorry. I'm I so sorry. I think I realized what happened. It was the Zoom invitation, I think, that went out. And then it was There's, my invitation. Right. So one I said, like, is it 10 Central? Is it 10 my time? And that's where I was just like, am I late? Did I miss it? Oh, my God. I was just it was freaking out. Even to this, even this morning, I had you on my calendar at 9 a.m. So when I sat down, I was like. Oh. My, on my calendar, I put that. That's me putting it in. And I checked, like, and it says it's happening now. I'm like, what the? What? I then I went back and checked your your email. It says no, 10 a.m. your time. I'm like, all right, well, I got proof. No, that is. <laughs> I've that got is, a paper trail that Benjamin said. <laughs> well, that is awesome because I I I I contacted Keisha. I was like, Keisha, uh, we told him Sunday, right? She said, yeah. I said, I'm just making sure. She gave me this long explanation. Like, I'm trying to make sure we didn't mess up. I want to make sure I didn't. We didn't mess up. Interview. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thank you so much, Amy. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> I think we're already live. I mean, we yeah, just. I, think, did. I, I see it's live on Facebook, so I, I'm assuming we're live. Hey, yeah, we're live. We're right, it today, so we're going. We're going in. So to introduce. Our guest, the one and only Alex Ferrari, filmmaker, author, and founder of Indie Film Hustle and Bulletproof Screenwriting, Alex Ferrari. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And Thanks for wanna, having me, guys. What I want to note here is that Alex has the number one filmmaking and screenwriting podcast on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. That's, what, like that's what they say. That's what the rumors are. That's what the rumors <laughs> are. <laughs> and like I told you guys before, um, when we first started doing films, like all of us, I was sharing his podcast with Keisha because mm-hmm. one of the first people I saw who was looking at film the way that I thought I needed to look at film. Because when I came into Austin, I said, well, there's a lot of talented artists and they're better than me. How can I win? I need a competitive advantage. And I said, oh, I don't think their business acumen and marketing is as good as I am, as mine is. So my my business focused on trying to be really good and really prolific at putting out content. And so I, and Alex, everyone in his podcast dealt with, there was this, this the, the skill side of the craft of filmmaking, but there was the business side 
And what's that quote you always say? Uh, there's a lot of them, so I, I don't know which one. About show business? <laughs> oh, it's oh, show business. Yes, it's the word show and the word business. And the word business has twice as many letters as the word show. And there's yeah. a reason. <laughs> exactly. So awesome. Great to be here. Or great to be here with you, Alex. Uh, how Thank you for you? having me. Uh, well, I, I'm busy. Uh, <laughs> how many podcasts oh, did you do last week i'm just curious like, uh last week we did um three and i might uh, i can't promise you but there might be a fourth wow. podcast coming out soon um but I, that's the first time i even mentioned it but it's a it's a big maybe it might come out in a couple of weeks i can't deny nor uh you know uh commit to that but um <laughs> There might be another one coming out. Um, I wanted to touch on something you just said earlier that, you know, you looked around, you're like, there's guys talent, more talented than me out here, but I got to do something, right? Um, well, I've, I've had that feeling through my entire career. There is always someone, there's always a bigger dog in the yard. Always. Mm-hmm. Always. If it's not now, it's at another time. But there's, look, someone knocked out Mike Tyson. So there's always a bigger dog, a younger dog. Uh, someone who just catches you on the wrong day. There's always someone who's going to be more talented than you, um, who's doing things at a higher level than you want to do them at, always. It just generally always is. Um, But the thing is, the one thing that I could always tell people is like, I I always tell people like, you know what? You might be more talented than me. You um, might even be, you know, not only more talented, you might have more connections than me, you might this or that. But the one thing you will never do is outwork me. (laughs) <laughs> you just won't you just won't because when i showed up with in the podcasting game uh, in my space in the filmmaking and screenwriting space there was uh there was a handful of podcasts no question and some very established podcasts but everyone was doing one a week i said well i want to do two a week so i'll double up everything and because of that one decision which I kept going until January of 2020, um, <laughs> where I finally said, you know, maybe I should just drop it down to one a week on that, on that show because I've got two other shows as well. <laughs> so, um, so I'm still putting out the same, but, but I kept that pace up where I'm now about in about three weeks, I'm going to have uh, episode number 400 um, oh of Indie Film Hustle, which is insane. Um, and I got an awesome guest for episode 400, someone who's very big in the game, uh, in the online filmmaking game i'll just there put it that way yeah, we'll be, we'll like an listening. og an og an og we will um, be definitely listening uh so uh but that's that's the thing you always have to outwork and you have to think of things differently you have to look at if everyone's going over here you got to go over there so now you i don't know if you guys have noticed now but there's like there's filmmaking podcasts popping up yeah. every week now because everyone's at home and everyone's <laughs> like well i got I could, I'm going to start a podcast and there's nothing wrong with that more, the more, the merrier. I have no problem with that. And I don't know if you've noticed that on your Facebook feed, but there's courses everywhere. Now, everybody's putting out filmmaking courses and everyone's putting out like, and these are like pro people, like people who like have like real credits and, and they're like putting out like, you know, you want to work, you want to write in television. I've been writing television for 30 years. I got, I'm out of work right now. So I need to do something. So I'm going to do this course. So it's different. It used to be those who can do teach. It's like now that no one can do. (laughs) Right. So there's like this kind of, there's kind of this influx. Um, And, and, you know, some of them might stick around, some might not. And look, if they can provide more value to the audience, all the better. I'm I'm all about um, 
high tide rises all boats. I'm not as com- I'm not that competitive when it comes to that kind of stuff. I always try to help as many people as humanly possible in in our space. And you could ask a lot of the guys that um, that are in our space. I try to help as much as possible, and guide and and give whatever knowledge I've kind of gained along the way. But my point is that everybody was going like, oh YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. Well, I was like, well now I'm gonna go over here to podcasting. <laughs> gotcha. see, everybody's like YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. And that's where you're going to make your audience. I was like, mm, that's not where I'm going to go over here to this podcasting thing where there's much less fish. It's a blue ocean. Mm. Um, and, and, I can, and I can actually start making some noise over there. And that's what I've done. And I, I try to establish myself uh, as one of those big dogs in the yard in the podcasting space. But see, that's, and, still, that's still competitive. It, it's what I call it compassionate capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. Like you still want to be the best in your field and when i see when i see my friends and my friends do uh other film projects like my my one of my business partners everyone if he sees someone that does a cool fighting short yeah he'll message me he will like people like f that we got to top it like he'll get mad and that we got to do a better one and so like we literally i'll see stuff that other people do i'm like i absolutely want to destroy you in this competition but i love you so i want us all to make money and even if I, my business goes past your business, I'm gonna still hire you because you're still my people. But right now, if we're going head to head, you gotta, you gotta die, fam. You gotta die. It, without Pepsi, there is no Coke. Yeah. Coke needs Pepsi. Without Microsoft, there's no Apple. Mm-hmm. They need each other. No it's a symbiotic. It's a symbiotic, symbiotic relationship. One has to outdo the other. I always love this one. I was, I was listening to this author. Um, I think it's the guy who did Find, uh, Find Your Why. I forgot his name. Um, uh, but he was, he was doing a talk uh, at Microsoft. And, and Microsoft was like, they gave him the, the Zoom. You remember the Zoom? <laughs> the MP3 player Zoom? Yeah. Uh, remember that thing? So uh, they were like, and it does this and it does that. And it's like so cool. And they gave it to him. And they gave it to him as a gift. And he was like, oh, cool, cool. And then like the week next week, he talks to Apple. And he's uh, talking to Apple. And then they're in, he's in the, uh, and, and, and the Microsoft guy was just like, yeah, it's better than the iPod. And it does this and that. And it's just so much more this and that, you know, just all this kind of stuff Microsoft's talking, right? Yeah. And when you go over to Apple and he's talking to the executive in the, in the limo, like on the way back, he goes, you know, I was over at Microsoft last week. <laughs> and uh, maybe talking about this new, this Zoom is uh, and it's got this feature and this feature and it's, it seems to be a lot better than the apple the ipod and the guy goes straight up he goes i'm sure it is and that was the end of the conversation wow <laughs> because when you know you're not only do you know that you're the best but the thing was that their mindset was not about beating microsoft mm. it was about beating themselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is the key, that is the the sign of someone who's very secure in who they are. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can always go out. Look, I will never be Chris Nolan. It's just not in my. It's not in this lifetime. I'm not. I'm not that director. I can't do what he does in the way he does it. Honestly, nobody. Guillermo del Toro can't be Nolan, and Nolan can't be Chris uh, Guillermo del Toro. That's like true. you give Shape of Water to Chris Nolan, it's a whole other situation. <laughs> you should give it to Michael Bay. 
No, you can, oh God, can you imagine if, can you imagine yes. Michael Bay with Shape of Water? I would, first of all, I would pay for that movie. I would pay money. Good I money. would, I would pay money to see that movie. But you, <laughs> but you see, so it's almost useless for Guillermo del Toro to go, oh, well, you know, Chris Nolan has this and this. I'm like, you can't do that. He only has to be, he only has to chase his own thing. Now you can be inspired by what other people do. Mm-hmm. You know, if it wasn't for Star Wars, we wouldn't have a James Cameron. Because James Cameron saw Star Wars and said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out. Alien, Ridley Scott's Alien is his direct response to Star Wars. And you don't know if you knew that or not. Ridley saw Star Wars and said, oh, hell no. I'm going to do this too, but I'm going to do it my way. Mm-hmm. And then he created the Alien franchise. There's room. It's like, uh, it's like rappers when they say, oh, this is my favorite rapper. Who's the best? Who's the best, ra- Who's the best rapper? Who's it's the best like- rapper? I mean, I got my choices, but, um, you know, I think, okay, if we, we can have that conversation too, by the way, I, I, I'm a, I love, I love some hip hop. Don't I get think me wrong. I'm old, guy, I'm OG. One rapper from Austin, Texas, his name is the Mighty Traps of Atlas. He gets it in, man. That's my guy. So, I mean, I'm, I'm more, I'm more mainstream, um, with my, my, my choices of hip hop, but you know, you got, you got the Jay-Z, you got the Tupac, you got the Biggie and you got the M and all of them. And all of them are terrified of M <laughs> when it comes lyrically. He's, he's, a bit of, he's a bit of a monster. I've been listening. I, Eminem, I mean, I grew up on all those people. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Think my, my favorite people to listen to. Yeah. Uh, there's some URL rappers like on uh, it's like Smack is like a competition. And so yeah. my name Daylight, who says some really heavy stuff. He gets a little, gets a little heavy with it. Um, Andre 3000 oh, is amazing. He's because, always on the top, yeah. Because a lot of people can say rap about, you know, guns and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he can do that and tell a story. And it's just, it's, it's interesting the way he's presented it. And so Andre 3000 was always at the top of my list. And then I have a friend that sounds exactly like Jadakiss. Oh, yeah. Side effect. I've always liked how Jadakiss how Jadakiss rap. I just like the way he sounded. So I just remember watching a documentary on hip hop, and you would just see MC after MC go, "Yeah, you don't want to mess with the white boy. Yeah, you don't want to piss him off." Oh yeah, M is. Yeah, you just don't want to piss him off. And it was just so funny to watch these these giants, these monsters, and oh, just like, yeah. yeah, you don't want to pick a fight with them. Like, why would you do that? Like, that's, that's just like. It's a problem. You don't need to do that. Why are you? Why are you gonna go poke a tiger like that? Um, and so and it's amazing how that, that Rakim. Who do you think? Oh, come on, Rakim. Rakim is. He explained his flow because he his dad was a musician, right? Mm-hmm. The horns. He he got that flow from horns. And how does he rap? He goes dun 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 dun. Just that, like. We have gone we have gone way past the filmmaking process. So if you want to come back to filmmaking, we can but here's the thing. Watch, watch the segue. Watch the segue. Okay, so you know hip hop comes up out of out of a struggle and it comes out of a right. lack of resources and it's people being creative and using their adversity to their benefit. Kind of like like a Robert Rodriguez and kind of like what all independent filmmakers have to do. Would you agree, Alex? I would say that's very smooth, sir. That was that a very was smooth transition. Smooth. I, I was smooth. I was good. I was, I gotta say, <laughs> I, this is not your first barbecue, sir. I understand that now. I understand that. 
no, that was no. Me. It's it's absolutely. Look, these these guys that came up, you know, during my time when I was, I mean, I studied Robert. Um, I studied Spike, John Singleton. Um, if you want to even go a little bit farther back, Robert Townsend. I think Robert Townsend. Robert Townsend is the first in that. He's before Spike, he's before Robert, and he was the first one to put movies on a credit card and release it. And mm. people don't give Robert the no. credit that he needs. They're not Robert Rodriguez, Robert Townsend. They yeah. don't give Townsend the credit that he deserves because why? Because the movie was called Hollywood Shuffle and it was a comedy. Because the comedy is not, it's, it's, it's so good. And he was talking about stuff that it was nobody was talking about back then. Because don't forget, I, I'm a video store kid. So I was working at the video store in 88 and <clears throat> Hollywood Shuffle came out in 87. So I remember it. And I, it was even before I wanted to be a filmmaker, quote unquote, I was still like a freshman in high school. But I remember Townsend. I remember his story and he, he does not get the credit he deserves. He is one of the founding fathers of the, the, the independent film movement of the 90s. But he happened to be in the 80s. And you can go farther back into the seventies, oh, you know, Dolomite. Dolomite, yeah, Dolomite, and all that stuff. I like, was, I watched that movie, Dolomite and was, I was like, it's gonna be silly, right? And then I watched when, uh, when, when he, when he jacks Wesley Snipes up against the wall, and I was like, and he was like, uh, what do you, how did he say? It? He said, you know, it's for you, you're a big time actor. I had it recorded on my phone. I got emotional watching that movie. Oh, was it because Dolomite that's, is. That's is I, I meant to do a podcast on Dolomite. I swear to God, because I, when I saw it, I was just like, this is the film. He's a film entrepreneur. He is the definition of a film entrepreneur, understanding wow. his niche, creating a market, creating product for that niche. Yeah. And it, it had him in two, we two blocks. He said it. He's like, it's two blocks. I know what in these two blocks, I know what these people want, and I'm going to give it to them. And yeah. then it just grew yeah. from there. Very but Dolomite... Very, oh, yeah, I mean, let's not even talk about Tyler, man. Tyler is a whole other, he's on a whole other level. Oh. Tyler's on a whole other level. And the funny thing is that Tyler still doesn't get the respect that he deserves. Ever. And he still doesn't no. get, we, I don't care if you like Medea, you don't like Medea, you right. like his films, you think his writing is horrible, you think his directing is bad. I don't care. No. Look at it from the point of view of a filmmaker reaching an audience. And to be fair, a very underserved audience. He is the ultimate film entrepreneur because he saw an audience which was massive that nobody was talking to. I mean, think nobody. You, you, had, you had people dogging him though. They still dog him. Spike Lee, all right. Yeah, yeah, Spike yeah. Lee yeah. Dogged him like you know this. Spike Lee dogged him like crazy though. All yeah. these people dogged him, you know. But he, but guess you know guess, why? I, and I, I don't want to look. I love Spike. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I love Spike, and I love all the. Uh, I'm sure that he was. I'm sure he's been critiqued by a few people. I'm not sure if that's maybe some jealousy because because <laughs> Tyler has done something. Man, the guy's created an empire, man. Think about this with Tyler, though. His new studio, right? <laughs> yeah. The one that he built, that mm -hmm. massive studio in Atlanta. On, on ex-slave, was it a slave? Um, yeah, it, it was Confederate. It was Confederate. Confederate, yeah. Confer yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, so think about which this. Is so which is so Beautiful. <laughs> when I heard that, I was like, real quick, real quick. Touche, so, touche. Think about this. Mm -hmm. He respects the people that, specifically Spike Lee, right? He respects them so much, there is a Spike Lee soundstage. 
Mm-hmm. Even after right. he dogged them. Even he after he dogged them. His people. So you got the Oprah soundstage. You got the Will Smith soundstage. You have the Spike Lee stunt. I mean, he, Cicely Tyson, yeah. he respects his elders and the people that came before him, right? Not sure about Mario, Mario Ben, ben Peoples, mm-hmm. um, but he is, he's another example of a filmmaker that came from nothing and built his stuff up. So yeah, you're, we have examples uh, of all this. There's, there are examples like that all the time and coming up in times like Melvin Van Peebles um, came up. Yeah, Melvin Van Peebles came up and he didn't get, he still doesn't get respect for the stuff he does. Um, Mario came up and you know, I'm a huge fan of New Jack back in the day. Still a director. So huh? we were solo. I remember Solo. I remember Solo. I remember Robert. Don't, don't, that's, my, that's my time period, man. 88 to 93, mm-hmm. I will go toe-to-toe with almost anybody because that's my video store days. So I, I saw everything that came <laughs> on the shelf. When there was a period of time where you could watch everything that was made, yeah, I watched everything days, that, was, that was made. If my video store bought it, I got it. And if I didn't, I'd go Did to Blockbuster. Did you watch everything it. that's made? Just, just curious. Now? No, of course not. There's no human being on the planet that could do that. I mean, during the major stuff like cats. Did you catch cats? Okay, so listen, man. I got to tell you my cat story. All right, so I, 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 I had cats, and we, my wife and I, uh, we were clicking through, and we saw we had we get cats, and we've been talking about watching cats for a while because we want to see how bad it is. Yeah. And we're like, should we, should we do it? It was like Friday night. It was like this last Friday night. Like, should we watch it? It was like we were watching like a porn or something. Like, should we do it? Ooh. You know, like, and all of a sudden we turn it on and it starts. It is the biggest train wreck I have ever seen in my entire life, man. It, it, I could, we stopped at 15 minutes in. We're just like, couldn't, couldn't, we couldn't do it anymore. It is the angelical man. What the hell is an angel? Okay. So look, let's just look at this as a story. All right. So. Let's just look at this. I'm not sure if this is what people are t- uh, uh, tuning in for, but we're going to go here. And I don't want to look. Earth. Okay, so look, battle, make, that makes Battlefield look look like Pulp Fiction, man. All right, I'm serious. Oh, really? I mean, that's, it's that bad, man. Now, Battlefield Earth is like so far beyond. Yeah, 15 minutes. Let's, 15 minutes in. All right, so I'm, I don't ever like to trash other filmmakers. I don't. And the filmmakers behind this are arguably some of the best filmmakers in the <laughs> business. I saw Amblin come up. I'm like, oh, Spielberg got involved with this. Oh, no. Like, I didn't know Spielberg was involved with it. They did such a good job in the press to get his name out of the situation that I didn't even know that he produced, executive produced this thing. I'm watching it. And on a story standpoint, I have no idea where we are. There is no establishment of the story. There is no establishment of character. It's kind of like th- being thrown into Star Wars without the opening credit sequence. Mm. If you're thrown in there, you wouldn't know what was going on. You'd be like, what the hell is this? Who is that? What's going on here? What's an angelical cat? No one, you know, it's like, and that angelical cat song went on for eight minutes. It's eight minutes of this angelical cat thing. And then the VFX are horrendous. Oh my God. Like so poorly done, like the concepting and the faces, the moving and it's, and then you, it's just so, my wife was like, what, uh, Elsa, El, 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 I can never say his name, Elsa, Elsa? Idris Elba? 
El, Ezra Elba, thank you. He shows up and, and my wife, who's that? I go, that's Ezra, that's Ezra Elba. And, I, and she's like, no. Because <laughs> my wife loves him, like loves, loves him. Everybody loves Idris. I okay. mean, I love him. I mean, I mean. Shout out to Idris. Hey, man, listen. Idris. 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 Hey, brother. So, Much so respect. Here's the thing about the VFX. And I was taught this by the guy, definitely guys that do it, right? They do as much as they, they can do. Can. In Within the this time period, of course. So if, if that time period is condensed, mm -hmm. that's what you get. Oh, I, I don't blame so, the VFX guys. So, so how about the, a really good example is a movie that we've all seen, mm -hmm. but we noticed it. Black Panther. Mm -hmm. The ending fight scene. Right? Mm -hmm. Not up to spec. Definitely. I but, never thought I I didn't didn't bother me. I'll be honest with you. I never saw, <laughs> I never saw it. I don't. Alex, I didn't see wait, it. I'm, I, look, man, I'm a VFX supervisor. I didn't. I was so into the story. I probably didn't even notice it. If I go back and watch it again, I'll probably go. Oh, okay, that could have been good. But you know what? The it was so good that you just yeah. you forgive. The story but, made up for such a. Yeah, and at that point in the story and the stuff, the climax, like I'm like I'm in, yeah. but with the, the Galagal cats, whatever the hell that damn thing there was, was nothing to redeem. It was nothing redeemable at all. And I know VFX guys who worked on that show, and I talked to them, and they're like, "Dude, like we're talking about ex new technology, untested, jammed up, and then also creative." just just vomiting constantly like everyone was changing things left and right and that's why they released the film and what's her name's hand was like not rendered uh, oh. julie dench's hand i never got to julie dench she's not in the first 15 minutes i couldn't i just couldn't i couldn't take it and i just told my wife i'm go if i was high wow this would be amazing Wow. Like if I was tripping and watching this, <laughs> no, seriously. If you, if anyone out there listening does, you know, want, wants to trip or wants to smoke some weed or something, this, this is the movie for you. Like it's like watching Trolls Two. Hi. The opinions of Alex Ferrari. I'm just throwing that up. I, the opinions of the. I'm just, action. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, look, and I don't, I don't drink, I don't smoke. I'm, I'm a square. But no. if I did. Oh my gosh. I hear Trolls 2 is amazing. And uh, <laughs> and you want because I'm watching cats, I'm just going, I would be freaking out. <laughs> so so I will say I'm I'm hoping that maybe if you had seen the play and were a big fan of the play, right, right, right. the movie made more sense. But it was very difficult to watch. I watched the whole thing. I was very mm. You watch. You lost those two hours, brother. I'm Bro, sorry. Bro, listen. When that. I went a movie, it was like it was like it was like a rental. When I spend money, I I'm watching. You it. commit. I watched Dragon Ball Evolution when it came out in theaters. Ooh. I wa I watched the whole thing because I spent good money to get into that theater. So. I but did you watch? Show but did you watch Showgirls in the theater? That's the question. I did not. I don't think I was old enough to watch Showgirls in the theater. I'm just letting you know, man, that's another genius film to watch. It's up there because that movie transcends being so bad that it's good. It's like The Room. It transcends so bad. bad to good. Cats is just bad. Got it. No redeem There's no redeemable quality. So I got to ask you one more, one more question so we can get to the main purpose. Uh, favorite Star Wars film and why? Uh, favorite Star Wars film? Um, I mean, I don't want to be cliche and put Empire up there, but I'm going to go Empire, mm -hmm. but a real close second is Rogue One. 
Um, okay. I I really really like Rogue One a lot. Okay. I love look. It, it's it's like picking your best your favorite children. Like it's tough. Like Star Wars, obviously Star Wars. But we you know. But what they did at Rogue One, they took the best of what Star Wars had to offer, and they also added their their touch to it. So I really enjoyed Rogue One. But Empire is the it's it's the um, it's the pinnacle that everyone tries to reach again. Directed. Oh, I know this. Oh, I know. I, we we could, I, look. I I was I was I had the pleasure. If you want, you don't hear my, my George Lucas story. I can tell you my George Lucas story real quick. So I'm 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 working as uh, in my post house. Uh, this is years ago, and my buddy um, texted me and goes, "Hey man, George Lucas is eating lunch next door." I'm like, "That's kind of a mean, that's mean spirited." Why would you say something <laughs> like that? And I said, then I sat there thinking like. That's kind of coming out of left field. Why would he say that? Let me go try it. And I walk over. He goes, dude, George Lucas is next door eating lunch. And I'm like, get out of here. So I go next door and George Lucas is eating lunch next door with his daughter. And I know it's his daughter because I've seen her from the behind the scenes documentaries that I've seen over the course of years. So I know, so I know who she is. So I'm like, oh, God. And then that morning, I'm not, I cannot explain it. That morning from Amazon arrived my Star Wars lunchbox that I'd ordered. And it got there at 9.30, and I would have, if, if, it was, if it was after 12, I would have taken it home for lunch, and I would not have stayed in the office. But in that period of time, George Lucas was eating lunch next door. And I had an autograph pen in my office because I always had my, my clients autograph um, posters. Nice. So I went to the front, and I'm like, look, man, I don't want to be that 30-odd-year-old guy you know, walking up to George Lucas with a Star Wars lunchbox and an autograph pen. I won't be that dude while he's having lunch with his daughter. Like, that's not cool. So my plan was... You only get one shot. Do not no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. So it, but my shot was, this is, this, is, this, is, this is my mentality. I'm like, but if he's on the street, it's fair game. So okay. between the restaurant and the limo that was parked out front, I was going to hit him. That was, that was, that was going to be the moment. And... I kept, and then all the guys, all these grown ass men were acting like Justin Bieber fans. I swear to God, I'm like, oh my God, it's George Lucas. Oh my God, it's George Lucas. It's George Lucas. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's George Lucas. We're freaking out. And then the receptionist, who was like an older woman, she's like, do you guys just want me to go over there and get that autograph for you? I'm like, he'll never see you coming. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> she grabbed the lunchbox for me, went over, and said, Listen, my buddy next door, he really wants you to get an autograph. And the daughter's the one, because he doesn't sign. He, George Lucas doesn't sign anymore, because he's George Lucas, doesn't need to. And his <laughs> daughter, and his daughter's like, Dad, just sign it. And, he, and I said, make sure you make it out to Alex, because I'm never selling it. And he signed it, and it's sitting on my shelf in the back. And that is my George Lucas oh my story. Goodness. Yeah. So, <laughs> Look, I'm a that's it. I hear you. I'm a my. I'm still. I'm a fight choreographer person. So, Phantom. I didn't really like Star Wars. To be honest with you, none of my friends were into it until I was older. I didn't watch Star Wars until I watched Darth Maul and the Phantom Menace. Then I came to Austin and learned how to do lightsaber combat. Four and five, Vader. Just want to point that out. So this is a lightsaber that sits in my weapons rack behind me. I have an actual stunt. Um, lightsaber from saber forge because uh nice we, per we do performances as star wars characters but basically people with lightsabers we play 
And that is the genius of George Lucas because from my generation, it was an original trilogy. For your generation, it was the new trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I go back to watch Phantom Menace. I watched it the other day with my, my, my daughter. And other than some amazing action sequences, it's pretty painful to watch in my personal opinion. <laughs> um, it is. I mean, story-wise, it was a little, it's a little rough. I mean, but the... the it, but Darth Maul, like, there's the action sequences were great. The, the, the pod race was great. Like, that stuff was solid. Yeah. But it was a little painful to watch, personally. I was just like, ooh. But the con- they, oh, act, they took so much attention. Jar Jar. Jar Jar. Ooh, Jar Jar. You know, that- I met Jar Jar. You know, I met Jar Jar, right? I met Yo. him once. I met Jar Jar once. And I'm like, hey, man. And I was, I was trying to be natural. I'm like, dude, man, you know, I, you get a lot of heat, man. It's, it's all right with Star Wars, man. <laughs> It's all right, you with Jar Jar. He's like, hey, man, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I'm like, yeah, no, you're just doing your thing, man. It's all good. I can't hate you. Who would have said no? I would have done, I'd be like, I would have been doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I would have been up there. Are you kidding? Any one of us. George Lucas called like, man, I need you to be this character, Jar Jar Binks from my new Star Wars film. Everybody would have been like, hey, I don't go, don't die. Yeah, all of us would have been doing that. So I would have been all the way in. So now it's your job, Alex, to tie Star Wars and what we're talking about into why film distribution is so important to you. Well, um, well, I could tie it, but it'll take a minute. But uh, <laughs> uh, George Lucas was uh, the original film entrepreneur, one of the original film entrepreneurs, and he used the studios as basically just a, dis- a distribution arm. That's all he used them for. And he had complete creative control to do whatever he wanted to because he was smart enough to set up that contract in the very original Star Wars, which we had sequel rights. And because they were such big hits, then afterwards he can renegotiate. And he had merchandise rights. Uh, and then afterwards he renegotiated all of that stuff. Uh, after Oh, we were the biggest movie of all time. Yeah, I need to renegotiate that contract if you want the second one. Um, and, and basically that, that world. So he he used them as a distribution arm and continued to do so until Disney bought him. Um, by the way, that was when I met George, he was in Burbank down the street from Disney. Yeah. And that, I was like, why is George Lucas in Burbank? Uh, that was why he was, he was probably meeting about the sale. Cause I think a few weeks, I think a month or two later, they, they announced the sale. So hey, I was like, yeah. Can you explain to everybody what a film entrepreneur is? I heard you say that. And mm-hmm. I know you, you preach it all the time, but can you just explain to them what, what it is that you're saying when you say that? Well, there's this book that just came out a little while ago oh. called, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard about it. So just look at the title. Um, his name is uh, Rise of the Film Entrepreneur. It's a book that I, I wrote um, last year. Yeah, I guess it came out last year, early last year, uh, late last year. And it's basically a concept of being an entrepreneurial filmmaker and I break down um, my formula on how to do that in today's world. So a lot of people talk about Disney, let's say, for example, the Disney company is a perfect film entrepreneur model, but they're at such a high level that it's out of reach for most filmmakers. Filmmakers like, that's great that Disney has theme parks so they can, they can uh, you know, monetize their characters on T-shirts and hats. I don't have that infrastructure, Alex. I just made a $100,000 or $50,000 movie. How can I use that method? Well, I brought all of that down to the street level and, and really kind of like any filmmaker with any budget range can apply the techniques and the concepts and the blueprint of a film entrepreneur leveraging technology online, leveraging services. There's so many ways you can generate revenue, but the basic concept 
of film entrepreneur, uh, being a film entrepreneur is, is to use the movie as a catalyst to sell ancillary product lines and or services. And that is the key to it, that the main revenue source is not the exploitation of the film. Because that is the definition of a movie studio. A movie studio's business was to make a movie, exhibit it to the, audi- to, to the customer, to the audience, and generate box office revenue. And that's where it was started back in the day of Chaplin. That was a movie studio. There was nothing else. There was no other revenue streams other than that. Then home video came along. Then cable came along. Then international sales came along. But there were all still different arms of the same lane, which was exhibition of the film. It was only when Disney, who is basically the, the, the godfather of the film entrepreneur method, is when he started using his characters and selling products off of it. Because as, like I say all the time, as we're talking right now, someone just bought a Mickey Mouse shirt somewhere in the world. Someone just bought a Mickey Mouse shirt. And mm-hmm. that was from a character from 1930, I think 27 or 32 or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, off of Steamboat Willie. That's... Mm-hmm. And, that, and then they've done that throughout their career or throughout their um, evolution as a company to the point where they are now, back, back in the 80s, they were able to gener- they start building this infrastructure to do it at such a massive scale that when they buy Marvel, they just throw it in their pipeline. When they buy Pixar, they just throw it in their pipeline and it just starts spitting out money on the other end. It's just... <laughs> It's just what they do. So as independent filmmakers, we can do that at, at a smaller scale, a much smaller scale. And I, I try to debunk the myth that you have to become a millionaire to be a successful filmmaker. Right. A successful right. filmmaker only needs to make enough money that they don't have to do anything else. That could be $50,000 where you live. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be $100,000 a year where you live. It could be $10,000 depending on what country you live. It's, and, and you could still be making money in dollars as opposed to wherever you, your, your currency is currently because we have an international marketplace mm-hmm. online. The internet has completely changed the game. So there is ways to generate a lot of revenue outside of just the film. And I'll use my, I'll use in the book, I use, I use a lot of case studies for every, uh, every step of the way. There's multiple case studies explaining what they did and how they used this method um, in, the, in, the, in the blueprint. But when I made my first short film, Broken, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, a little $8,000 short film, action uh, short film that I did back in 2000, I shot in 2004, released it in 2005, I, I noticed at the time that there was no, I, I know it's hard to believe, there was no online education for independent filmmakers. Anywhere online, YouTube was just starting. Um, you know, Robert Rodriguez's DVDs were fantastic, but I'm like, Robert, you're rolling at seven million, brother. I can't do that. Um, so it didn't, it was nice. Uh, thank you for the guacamole gun, but I really, uh, I, I really, I other than that, I really can't, you know, like you should do your own steady cam. Thanks, Robert, but I can't afford one. Um, you know, uh, but they were fantastic, but I didn't see anything with the the tool sets that were available to independent filmmakers. So I shot that film at the time on mini DV on the DVX 100A represent um, back in the day, edited on final cut four, did the visual effects in shake. um, And, and 
that's how we put it out. And we had over a hundred visual effects shots in it. It was an action short and mm -hmm. there was nothing in the marketplace like it. So I decided to put together a guerrilla film school about three and a half hours uh, or so of content to show people how I did this. And then I targeted a niche audience, which were filmmakers, because I said, no one's going to pay me money for this 20 minute short film. This is not going to happen. I'm nobody from nowhere with, with a unrecognizable cast. Mm -hmm. But it's weird. I mean, all these things that you're saying and you're talking about, you know, doing all this film creative stuff, but it sounds weirdly like you're running a, a business. Stop. Okay, stop it. As an <laughs> I love I love the way he's like, he's trying to act like it sounds to me. <laughs> That's you're, not rubbing up. you're not a hobbyist. You're a business. I'm I'm you're like you're not a hobbyist. You're a you, you mean you're, you're trying to run a business? Is that what I'm trying to propose here? Well, I hate to tell filmmakers this, and I know a lot of filmmakers out there listen. They're like, "Well, I don't want to learn how to run a business. I just want to be an artist." I'm like, "If you just want to be an artist, go pick up a guitar or go pick a piece of paper and draw. That or pick an art form that's not very expensive. Mm. But this is an expensive art form." So if you mm -hmm. want to continue to do this other than once every three or four years as a hobby, and there's nothing wrong with that, but yeah. understand what you're doing and understand what you, and don't get angry because that one <laughs> film didn't blow you up. What I'm proposing is creating a sustainable business that grows upon itself. With every film that you make, you create new revenue streams that are evergreen. I still make money off of broken. Wow. To this day. I'm still making money off of that short film because I packaged it together for this guerrilla film, short film thing. I put all my short films in it and all the behind the scenes and how I did everything in the marketing. And I put it all together and I sell it online. And that course still doesn't make, I'm not like rolling in it, but it still trickles enough money that if I saw it on the floor, I would pick it up. <laughs> that's, that's the definition of like, how much does it make? If it was on the floor, would you pick it up? Gotcha. Are you are you a uh, uh, Robert Kiyosaki fan at all? Ready? Uh, uh, Robert Kiyosaki? Yeah. Of course. Okay. Of course. So, I've read all his books. Okay. So I don't want to assume, but because it oh, sounds yeah. like also something that I've always been taught is that we want to move from the active side <clears throat> to the passive side of the cash flow quadrant, mm -hmm. mailbox money, etc. Like Samuel L. Jackson calls it. So a lot of things you're talking about is setting up using this lost leader of a, of some of a sort to create passive streams of income to fund further lost leaders and or slightly profitable projects yeah absolutely it is it is passive income but there's nothing really hopefully not that passive about it um yeah. you've got to work but the money you're disconnecting dollars for hours when you have when you're working for a a, a set amount of money per hour of your time, there is an inherent limit to the amount of money you can generate. Gotcha. That limit could be a million dollars a year. That limit could be $2 million a year if you're an executive somewhere because you could be taking a whole lot of money. But there is a limit to that. Whereas if you create assets, assets that generate revenue, whether it be real estate by purchasing a, a, an income property that pays you monthly, that's, that's a form of, of income. That's, that, that means that you're making money off that asset 
you're not putting in your hours of, of work specifically associated with that. You put in work, but not that kind of work. So you start building more and more and more of these assets. And then each film, in my opinion, is an asset. Each ancillary product that you create off of that film is an asset. And you start building off and off like that. So in my business with Indie Film Hustle, I've been able to continuously grow my business by jumping into other niches, but providing other service to other audiences, all within the niche of filmmaking and screenwriting. And I do that because I want to continue to be of service to the community. And it's, and it's something very, very clear I want to make here. Your income is directly related to the amount of service you provide your audience. We're service providers. I've heard that, that before, though. And, that's, that and it's not just selling a product. It's telling a story. Whether you like it or not, Avatar and Endgame provided an immense amount of value to its audience. Whether you like it or not, irrelevant. Tyler which, Perry. Which Avatar are we talking about? Just... The, the only Avatar that made $2.2 billion. Um, <laughs> come on, man. Come on. I'm not, I'm not falling into that, man. I'm not, not going to fall for the banana and the tailpipe, brother. Come on. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not going to fall for that. No, but yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, see, you lost my train of thought now with the damn uh, avatar question. Um, no, like, you, like, so Tyler Perry, he, the money he's generated is direct relations to the amount of service he's provided his niche audience his audience of choice. Again, I don't care if you like his movies. It's irrelevant, but his audience does. Gotcha. And that's all that matters. Um, Lloyd Kaufman, who is the president of Troma Films, mm-hmm. who made Toxic Avenger and yeah. Kubuki P.I. and Tromeo and Juliet and all these, you know, <laughs> all these kind of, you know, pol- poltergeist, poltergeist, you know, with the, 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 the giant chicken who's the classic. Exactly. Obviously, up there with Citizen Kane. But, um, but regardless, he's been at it for 30 or 40, 45 years, I think, now at this point. He is one of the originating independent filmmakers outside the system. I've interviewed Lloyd a couple times. Lloyd is super smart. He's like, <laughs> he, like, I think, went to Yale. Oh. It has like a, like, you know, he's like a, 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 and I'm sure a doctorate, but like he's got a master's in like philosophy or something. Like he is a smart dude. He's a super, super smart dude. And he understood that under, understanding. He's like, I'm going to make these kind of movies for the audience that wants to build it. He was able to build a brand and he was able to and do what he does. And he's made a career out of it. You know, again, I don't care if you like his movie or not, it's irrelevant. His audience likes it. And then you can go down that road with a lot of filmmakers and a lot of these kind of film entrepreneur people. But you, you can pull that out of anything, though. And I mean, I, forget, I wrote a book a long time ago on philosophy, and it said, um, if you are looking for the lessons in life, you will always be able to pull a lesson out, right? So um, there are people who will go to a place like, um, They'll go watch a movie or see something. You know, like, oh, man, that movie sucked. You're like, okay, cool. But it got funded, though, right? So there's a lesson in there somewhere about how they sold it, who they knew, how they, how they did something that allowed them to get that project funded. There's still a lesson to be learned there. Even if something is not good, there's always a lesson you can pull 
out of it. There's a lot of stuff that comes out that when I, when I see things like Toxic Avenger and I'm like, man, you've got, you've got a rabid fan base. You have people who are going out. Like, I remember you interviewed a, young, up. a young woman who, a young filmmaker who uh, wanted to work for Trauma. Yeah, Kansas right? Bowling. Yeah, Kansas Bowling. Exactly. And she made that. I mean, she wanted to work for Trauma. Like, mm-hmm. so it doesn't matter if you like whatever's coming out. Like, there's a lesson you can pull from that about how to do business better or how to market better or how to find your niche audience or something. The key, the key is, guys, and this is the future of independent filmmaking, is the niche. Mm-hmm. The riches are in the niches. I don't care who you are, what you say. If you don't understand the niche, you won't be successful, generally speaking. Are there always going to be outliers? Yes. Are there going to be art films that don't care about their audience and just want to do their own story because that's the story they want to tell? Yes. And there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But if you want to build a business and have some sort of stability as a filmmaker, you have to understand niche audiences. You have to create product for niche audiences. Yeah. And, and, and that is the, the cornerstone of being a film entrepreneur is understanding your niche. If you don't understand your niche, if you make a broad romantic comedy, you're done. Mm-hmm. It, unless you have a huge star in it. And th- even then, it doesn't matter. And I think you know. <laughs> and filmmakers, it's like you have to learn how to think differently. I think, you know, before we would think, oh, I make this film and then I try to do, I try to sell it. Da, da, da. But what you're saying is you have to think about yourself like as a brand, as a business. You have to see other ways that you can profit off of your film other than just going the traditional, okay, I'm going to go try to get a distribution deal. I'm going to try to do this and try to do that. You have to think differently. It's a whole mindset, is what I so- hear. So yeah, it is. you're absolutely correct. But let me, let me go back to Broken for a second. So I, I, I made that DVD and we made over $100,000 selling DVDs. We sold about 5,000 DVDs of that or so. And that was one revenue stream. Then the bigger revenue stream is that that movie has generated seven figures for me in my lifetime. <laughs> now I'll explain to you why it's generated seven figures for me in that lifetime. I'm not rich man by any stretch of the imagination, but I'll, under, I'll explain to you what, what I mean. When that movie came out, because I understood my niche audience so well, that niche audience were filmmakers. And when they saw what I was able to do on a quality level on, on color grading, which by the way is the first thing I ever color graded, and I color graded in Final Cut with filters on a normal tube TV, <laughs> not, color, not color calibrate or anything, but I did something right because it was a cool ass look that no one had ever done. I was thinking about color grading when independent filmmakers weren't really doing color grading, especially at the micro, no budget level. Right. So um, I did that plus the visual effects and I finished it with the sound and everything. So they, I, get, I started getting calls. Like, hey, man, can you help me with my movie? I'll hire you. And I was like, oh, there's a business here. So I'm going to open up my, my visual effects post-production company called Number Robot because I've got my guys who help me on my movie, and I can start kicking them work. Gotcha. So now I build a business around, dedica- around servicing that niche audience. And then that movie continued for years to send me business from filmmakers who watched it, heard about it, saw an article, saw an interview, and they're like, I want you to help me with my movie. Mm -hmm. And I was able to, over the course of the last 15 years or so, build up a business 
of a post-production business that's generated in the in the time period easily over seven figures um you know eighty thousand dollars a year something like that ninety thousand dollars a year plus as a business because it launched my post-production business and it constantly was something that people brought up i still hear about people like dude man i bought your dvd back in the day man Mm -hmm. and that's why i want you to help me along those lines as far as independent filmmakers Mm -hmm. training a lot of a lot of independent filmmakers just do the same thing over and over again and don't try to up even with even with money don't try to up, upgrade their skills mm-hmm. doing something and getting something like this yeah could be one of the simplest things you need to learn to make sure that your image this is the thing that you're pushing out to the world as far as how to uh make your project look better getting something like this guys know what this is mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in filmmakers making sure that you're on point as far as upgrading your skills and your image what what training and up and places that you see to upgrade your skills that are not film schools to try to do this well i mean obviously everything i do um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, hey, IFH, you know? obviously ifhacademy.com is fantastic, and so is IndieFilmHustle.tv, which is the world's first streaming service dedicated to filmmakers and screenwriters and as an educational and entertainment platform. I'm just throwing those two out there. But don't, don't, hate, the, don't, don't hate the hustler. Hate the, hey, got the hustle uh, <laughs> There is a plethora of places where you can upgrade your skills. I mean, YouTube has an obscene amount of stuff. Um, as well as, I mean, there are certain master classes that I would like, you know, they're not all good. I think like, but there's some of them that are really, really good. Um, there's a lot, just so much free education or some, a lot of paid, really good paid courses that will upgrade it. I am constantly buying courses. I am constantly educating myself on, on areas of my, of my business that I want to know more about, uh, you know, and, and constantly building my, I am a, a, I am a consistent learner. I am a student always a student i'm always a student i'm always listening i'm always educating myself like i've told people you've got to put tools in that those tool in that toolbox of yours you've got to constantly be adding tools to the toolbox so when i made my last film on the corner of ego and desire i shot a movie in four days at the sundance film festival basically around 36 hours with a crew of two other people besides myself running around park city and shot an entire movie and then I came home and had a final cut done in about two and a half weeks. And then I colored it a week after. Now, it, that, that sounds like an insane journey, but I have to tell people I'm like, yeah, but you can't do that right now. I got 25 years of tools <laughs> in my toolbox that allowed me to do a lot of that heavy lifting myself. Right. And that's the difference that the filmmakers just want to be able to go do that tomorrow. I'm like, you could try. But you need you, you gotta you gotta crawl before you run. You gotta walk before you walk. Mm-hmm. It's all of that stuff. You've got to take step. It takes time to build out those kind of skill sets. You know, I couldn't have made that movie ten years ago. I didn't have the right. skill sets. You know, I would have made something, but I'm not sure it would have been the it would have been the same movie. So it's about always constantly educating. I read at least a book or two a week, every week. I'm listening to Audible all day, every day. 
um, and, and constantly educating myself. I'm on, constantly looking for like, I, I saw um, my new book. The, the next book I have in my list is uh, 50 Cent's new um, like uh, entrepreneurial book. Okay. Uh, I think it's called Hustle 50 and Hustle or something like that. I was like, oh, yes, thank you. I'll have two of those. Um, did, you ever, did you ever read um, The 50th Law? No, I read The 48 Law, but I didn't read The 50th Law yet. The 50, that's the one with 50 and, and the guy who did the, the laws of, yeah, I forgot the guy's name, but the guy who did the, the 50 laws of power. 40 laws of power, yeah. 40, yeah, that one. He did the 50th law with 50. Eight hours that will change your life. You got to okay. recommend it highly for everyone listening. So, so, so good. Okay. Um, I'm putting on the, the book list. Any other book? Put books? it on the book list. I mean, reading right I have, I, I mean, I could open up my Audible and just start spitting oh, out right books. Right <laughs> give, us your, give us your top three for filmmakers trying to self-produce and distribute their content. What are the three books you think are the most? <laughs> yeah. Beyond that one, that's number one. On I'm just list. throwing that out. I'm just throwing it out. Um <laughs> All, 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 all joking aside, I think, I think Rise of the Film Entrepreneurs are really, it, it will, it will shock your mind. It, it, it will, compl- it, it will, it will make your head explode if you, because it, a lot of filmmakers have, I've told me, I've never thought of it that way. Holy cow! So that's a good, that's a good starting point. Um, independent. Um, let me see for for filmmaking, I would say independent film producing um, by Suzanne Lyons is really, oh. really good uh, as well. She, her book, um, we teach a course, her course is on IFH Academy that I partnered with her on, but her book is the best-selling um, producing, independent film producing book on Apple, on Amazon. So there's a reason for that. She's had it up for like 10 years, something like that, but still very, very relevant and still very good. Um, like tactical film books. I mean, man, I mean, if you want to, I mean, making movies by Sidney Lumet is pretty damn insane making movies by Sidney Lumet will will mess you up as well um I just had John Badham on the show a little while ago his book making movies is really good but they're not as technical as far as like distribution because and 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 making your own thing I think one of the more technical books is the the film entrepreneur book and I'm not I'm not being a you know I'm not trying to be an ass about it I just like I just can't remember any other books that kind of in your audiobook it's very straightforward like Problems with distribution. <laughs> you start talking about them. So it is one of the more technical. I think you mentioned uh, what was it, the Gorilla Rep, before? Yeah, the Gorilla Rep's good. Uh, yeah, that's Ben Yeni. That's a good book um, as well. I think it needs to be updated a little bit. Ben, I think, will be the first to agree with that um, because a lot it gets distribution changes so rapidly. Yeah. Um, and now with COVID, oh my God, it's. I mean, nobody knows what anything's going to happen. I'm tell, I've been saying this on, on my show for a while. I'll keep saying it. We haven't seen the bottom by any stretch of the imagination uh, of this thing. I know it's sad to say I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. But on a, on a macro scale with the whole COVID thing, but on a micro scale with our industry, um, you're going to start seeing companies fall probably within the next six months to 12 months. You're going to start seeing big companies fall distribution companies are going to go out of business filmmakers are going to get hurt um i'm already hearing room i'm already hearing things through the grapevine of distributors not getting paid by other platforms that are just starting to it's starting to fall down not the big boys amazon itunes that's different i'm talking about other 
smaller platforms gotcha. that they're expecting money and the money's late or behind. And the, and if I said the names of these companies, you would go, what? Yeah. So I've already started hearing those rumors and, and, and not rumors, the, the, rumblings through the company through the through people i know in the industry so i'm already seeing the tea leaves i already see what the tea leaves say and it's going to change i i've been yelling that rome is burning for a long time <laughs> you are I mean, no what no, i mean seriously rome is burning and people are arguing about what the fire is over here but the fire is over there but rome is burning but they're arguing about it still so i feel that rome is burning i feel that especially in the distribution space um there's going to be a big reckoning in the next six to 12 months in the entire industry um, because it, the system that they have up right now is unsustainable for filmmakers. It has never been sustainable mm -hmm. for filmmakers. That industry wow. is not designed. All you guys are listening very closely. That system is, away right now. that is not this. Understand something. Film distribution from the days of Chaplin was never designed for the filmmaker ever very true. So that system that system was designed to put more money in the pockets of studios and distribute and distributors not of the artist it's never been the reason why united artist came around was because douglas fairbanks chaplin and pickford i think started a studio to try to help artists make real money because they were like well wait a minute we're the stars we're not making any money. The studios are all making all that money. Why can't we do it? So that's when United Artists started. Right. Um, so, and nowadays, the distribution space has become so much more predatory mm. because th they don't know where they're getting their money. See, in the 90s, it was DVD. Yeah. You could put out Sniper 7 with not Tom Berenger in it <laughs> and still pull three or four million off of that movie. You could put out any Jean Claude Van Damme film, and it would pull out five, six, seven million dollars internationally. It just, it just, auto, it was an automatic. Those revenue streams have dried up. Streaming has changed the game dramatically to the point where, if you look at what happened to music, that's exactly what's going to happen to us. When you got Beyonce making an eighth of a penny per stream, what do you think that's going to happen to us as independent filmmakers? That's what's happening. The studios and the, and the streaming platforms are starting to crunch out the independent. And unless the independent filmmaker figures out a way to generate revenue outside the system, mm -hmm. they won't survive. Now, are there outliers? Absolutely. There are always going to be outliers. There's always going to be that Sundance winner. There's always going to be that guy who sells that movie. There's always going to be a Hamilton, uh, you know, someone who makes $75 million off of, like, the, like, one of the biggest. Great. Whatever, if no one has seen Hamilton who's listening to this, you need to stop after we're done with this and then go <laughs> and watch. Spend six ninety nine, dollars buy Disney Plus for a month, and watch yeah. that damn thing. Yeah. If you have like Verizon or something, you get Disney Plus for free. Whatever. Get it. Watch it. it you <laughs> got to, you gotta go see it. But the it's all about the hustle though. That film is all about the hustle. Oh. <laughs> and that he did it with Hamilton. It's like this dude, like, what? This guy, what? This guy in the ten dollar bill? What? It's just don't even get I was literally watching a Hamilton documentary before I jumped on off to, on Disney Plus. Um so 
Um, but, but filmmakers need to understand that this system is rigged against them. It has always been rigged against them, and it will continue to be rigged against them, mm-hmm. period. And not many people come out and say stuff like this. And no, they just don't because they don't want to piss people off in the business. I don't care. I want to help filmmakers. That's what I'm here to do. It's Look, good. I've been I've been trying to get invited to the to the party, my entire career. Oh, I've been tired. I've been trying to get invited to the party for my entire career. Like everybody listening, we all wanted. Look, and don't get me wrong. With Kevin Feige, he calls me. I will take that meeting for Marvel. Don't think I won't. Okay, I will take the meeting. Okay. Um, and not that I despise Hollywood or I hate him. I don't. I love Hollywood. I love the business. I love what they present. They represent the sizzle. But when it comes to the nuts and bolts of the independent filmmaker, the system is not built for you. It's just not. It's not designed to help you. It's just not designed to put money in your pocket. Period. How did he say it? You want to be in the room where the deals are made, Aaron Burr? I want to be in the room. But the difference is I decided to create my own room. Gotcha. That's where we're here. That's what you need to learn how to do as a filmmaker. You need to create your own world, your own space where you can talk to your audience directly because that technology exists today. Is it going to take work? Absolutely. Lots of it. It's going to take years. It took, uh, just so you understand, I've been doing film, indie film hustle for five years. It took me about two and a half years before I really started getting traction. Gotcha. Before I started, before I, before I shut down my post house, I don't do posts anymore. I shut it down. I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to focus on this. This is my 100% job now, is Indie Film Also. It took two and a half years to three years to get to that point where it started generating enough revenue to take care of my family, to put food on my table, to pay my mortgage, and to live here in Los Angeles, which is no small feat. (laughs) Was that the goal when you started doing the podcast originally, or did it just kind of as it was a side? Man, look, I I was trying to create a business. But I, was, I saw that there was a need in the marketplace. When I, came into the, when I came onto the scene, I was fresh off of my failure as an olive oil entrepreneur, which is another conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> you want to know about 18-year-age 18 18 year balsamic vinegar? You got to talk, talk to me off air. Let's but, do it. <laughs> I, I cook, so... You, yeah. I mean, I, you, I'll tell you how to buy, purchase a, a correct bottle of olive oil and what to look for. But I was a, a failed entrepreneur. I, I started a business with my family and we were there for three years selling olive oil. And it's again, another story, another book, uh, another time. So when I came onto the scene, I was literally out of the film business. I had, I had one foot in, maybe I would do a post job here and there from friends or former clients that would ask me to do something. But generally speaking, I wasn't doing anything. So when I started uh, IFH, I was starting from scratch. Nobody really knew who I was. Nobody knew anything about me. No one knew about Indie Film Hustle. Nobody knew about anything that I was doing. So I literally started with zero followers <clears throat> on all my platforms and zero listeners. And I built my company up brick by brick over the course of the last five years. And it took a long time to do. But, but I started it as a business but I saw that when I came onto the scene, I saw a lot of people talking, but a lot of them weren't people who, who actually had any shrapnel, who had, had really walked the walk. A lot of them was like, well, yeah, you know, I did this, you know, and I did that, and, and it's, I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but I was like, well, th- th- these guys don't really know what it's like. 
So let me throw a real voice out there from someone who, who's actually walked some, I got some shrapnel. I got lots of shrapnel. Our previous guest, Eric Bernard said the exact same thing. To get mentors and people with the smoke of battle coming off. Like my first, my first book shooting for the mob when I almost made a $20 million movie for the mafia. And then I was flown around Hollywood and I met the biggest movie stars and, you know, billion dollar producers and stuff when I was 26 yeah, that, I got lots of shrapnel there. When my life was being threatened on a, on a daily basis for a year from a psychotic bipolar gangster, um, that's shrapnel. And, and immense with all the other things I've done over the course of my career. So I came on, I was like, you know, I'm going to give this a real raw feeling. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this raw. And I'm going to do this real. And I'm going to try to be of real service to the people. So I came out guns a blaring. <laughs> and and, and I, came, I came out guns a blaring to the point where all the other, like some other podcasters, they would call me up like, dude, who are you? you're you're like everywhere all of a sudden like you just showed up and where the hell what the hell happened who are you and and that was just me you know hustling to the umph degree especially when coming up literally from the bottom and building it brick by brick day by day did i expect it one day could be my my full-blown income i hoped but there's no there was no guarantee you know, and I had to learn a lot along the way, just like I built up tools in my toolbox for my film industry. I had to build, build up tools for my toolbox in this business, the online space. Okay, and so I've learned a lot. You are, are thinking about, we, we are down, we're not at the bottom, we're not scraping that bottom yet. But seeing what you said about the studio system, what is the solid uh, platform, what's the design to move up from there? What do you mean? So, um, can you rephrase the question? I'm not. I'm not understanding it. Uh, basically, what a, what is cool a cool system? What you would think to design a, a platform from here? A school a school system. A school system. A educational platform. Educational platform just to move from on up in, instead of going the studio route. Um, well, obviously, IndieFilmHustle.tv. Um, but other than that, um. Oh. There is, I, I don't think there's, honestly, I don't think there's one. There is not one that does everything right. Um, I think they, mm-hmm. there's, they do pieces here and there. Mm-hmm. So like on my platform, I have 2,000 lessons from right. screenwriting videos, all that kind of stuff, um, and filmmakers and you know, interviews with Scorsese and Spielberg and all these kind of guys. Um, that's one, it's just, you got to kind of go everywhere. It's like you can't get everything from one book. Right. Gotcha. You need to read as many books and get information from wherever you can get it. If it's from a free YouTube video, great. If it's from a book, great. If it's from a course, great. Mm-hmm. And not every course is going to hit every, not every piece of education is going to hit everybody the same way. Right. So that's why I always like bringing, like when I, when I'm on the Bulletproof Screenwriting Show, I always bring on different authors, screenwriting authors, because, and they have different systems. They're all talking about the same thing. Right. They're all talking about story structure. It's just a different flavor of it. And the reason I do that is because I always like to present different perspectives on the same problem right. because, you know, John Truby might not be your cup of tea, but Linda Seeger or Michael Haig might be, you know, and, and those are the guys, guys just authors in, in the screenwriting space. Like, oh, like when I, when I interviewed John Truby and screen, he's one of like my favorite screenwriting gurus, quote unquote, you know, instructors, he blew my mind because he made me look at screenwriting and storytelling completely differently than anyone I'd ever talked to. I was like, holy 
cow. So it's always better to find as many sources of education as humanly possible, not just me, not just them, everybody. Try to get as much from everybody as you can. And at the end of the day, who rings true to you? Because that's why I always tell people, are you afraid of competition? No, because there's no one who can compete with me and I can't compete with them <laughs> because they have different flavors. They have a different flavor, you know? If, if uh, there was another filmmaker who has a different perspective on things and is spouting the exact same thing I'm saying, it's the people who connect with me on an emotional level who's going to listen to me. And someone's going to connect with them on an emotional level who's going to help them. At the end of the day, if they can find help there, I will be more than happy to aim them in that direction because my end goal is not just to make cash. It's about helping filmmakers and helping screenwriters get to where they need to be. So that's, that's my thought, goal. I do have a thought on uh, piggyback on what Chill is asking. So we're talking about the demise of the different uh, platforms, distribution models, the way it's built on sand is going to crumble. We know that. Yep. Mm -hmm. In your mind, what is a way... Like, if you had to plan one in your brain, how would it work that would be sustainable? Would it be maybe it's indie flicks, but we have better deals through indie flicks and we have information and like uh, some sort of a setup where it's revenue share and we get the data from who's watching it versus how Netflix will maybe we don't get as much data. Like in your mind, what are some right. components? Sure. I'll throw, I'll throw the, you want, you want the dream. You want the dream? Yeah. You want the dream. You want the, the irreal, Okay. The unrealistic dream, because it's, and it's unrealistic purely because there's too many players in the game and, and no one's, not all of them are going to start playing together. And that's the problem. You got iTunes, you got Amazon, you got uh, Hulu, you got Tubi. They're all different players and they all have different ways of dealing with things. And so that's the problem with distribution. You can't mm. have a, a one place that can get information from everybody. It's just, it's, it's not possible because you got to make deals with everybody. It's a very difficult nut to crack. Ideally, the places, and this is where I find the problem with all distribution in general, aggregation and distribution, is follow the money. Follow the money. Where's the money coming in? How is it being filtered? By the time it gets to you. So if you look at the Hollywood accounting, I promise you, if you don't structure that deal properly, you will never see a dime mm -hmm. and they'll do it to you while they're looking in your face. So I just had on the show okay. last week, last week I just had him on the show, an ex distributor. I don't know if you guys heard that episode or not. We did. We heard it. <laughs> Wasn't that mind blowing? Yes, it was. Very I promise. I didn't I tell you it was going to be insane. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, so oh, my yeah. favorite, mm -hmm. and my favorite part of that whole episode is when he said, and you heard me stop him. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, it's not that film distributors want to screw filmmakers. It just happens organically. And he said it with such a nonchalant way. I said, no, no, no. We need to stop there for a second. If you watched it, you haven't seen it yet because I haven't released the video. But you see his face going, oh. I said, yeah, like he knew. He knew as I was going to let him go with that. And he's like, so you're telling me that the system is organically designed to screw the filmmaker? Wow. He's like, yes. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Great. Yes. Just wanted to clarify that for everybody listening. And who wants to and who wants to get involved in that relationship? Like, honey, I want to marry you, but I'm organically designed to cheat on you with your sister. Dude, <laughs> not, I want I want I want someone <laughs> listening. I want someone to li I want someone listening. Let me know if they get into their fight with their wife and go, honey, listen, it's not that I wanted to cheat on you. Is I'm organically designed 
to cheat on you. It's just organics. I have no control over it. I, mean, I have no control over that. I mean, I got no control. It's just Fine. like popped out. So, um, <laughs> I mean, so, uh, <laughs> um, but no, but seriously, so that's, that's what you're fighting against. Now, I'm not saying that you can't make a deal with distributors. My new course that I'm designing, um, Film Distribution Confidential, which is all about how to protect yourself in these deals, how to structure a, a partnership deal with a, a distributor as opposed to this kind of predatory way of, of, of business as usual. Because if you have a film that they want, they will negotiate with you. And it's just about how you structure the deal. It's the same. Yeah. And I, like I said this weekend, man, I know a lot of people were like, I can't believe that that distributor says it's our fault for not you know, yeah. knowing the, distri the distributors should be, you know, more ethical and this and that. And I just, and I came out this week, I was like, you know, guys, look, if you expect business to be ethical, <laughs> period. Savagery. I mean, do you, do you think the mortgage brokers who were selling those horrible mortgages in 2006 and seven were ethical? Do you think banks are ethical when they scam you into 30% credit cards? Like, I mean, there's, this is, this is, this is the world we live in. You could bitch about it or you could do something about it. And it's up to you. You, I'm, I'm, look, man, I, I'm, I'm a realist. I'm a realist. I understand the world I live in and I understand the game. If you're pissed off at the game, don't play. Right. If you're pissed off at the game, don't play. That's if you want to play, then understand the rules and know how you can play the game by their rules and also maybe manipulate here and there the rules to be in your favor. Right. But don't get pissed off at them. Right. Don't get pissed off at the scorpion for stinging you. Mm -hmm. And that's the way. And if you think anything else in this industry is going to be that way, I'm sorry, you're naive. It's not that and way. It's not that way. Literally in any in any business, I said the same thing on the episode with housing. If you don't get an inspection and the foundation's cracked, mm -hmm. when I bought my house here mm -hmm. in California, the piles of paperwork that came in because California does not play. Mm -hmm. They do not play with the stuff that you need to check. And I kept signing these people like you have to sign for this and you got to sign for that. And like, yeah, because people just didn't, they don't know. So the state themselves actually are trying to help people not get screwed over because it was such a massive problem. So someone had to say, Hey, you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Just like, just like when Rockefeller and, and Vanderbilt were abusing and killing their freaking employees in the factories back in the day. If someone had to say, Hey, you know, maybe not breathing in car exhaust for 10 hours you should probably do something about that because I see your dudes dying wow. with black lung. You're like, do you see what I'm saying? It's, that's history. That's mankind. And the, in, the distribution business in Hollywood is no different. It's just people. And the thing is that you won't know until somebody explains it to you and tells you, just like you all started talking about when you buy a house or I was thinking about when you buy a car. A car. You don't know, but the thing is that people don't know. So they do go in and they don't ask questions, but someone has to show you that, teach you that. Like that when you, like when you get those. If you know the nature of some uh, someone, you know exactly what they're capable of. There you go. It, it, exactly, and understanding. Like, look, when you do business with a bank, do you really think that the bank is there for you? No. Not one of them. Somebody's selling something. Maybe a credit union. That may be a little bit different. 
slightly different, but, but as a to serve themselves and their investors or owners. That's what. Well, with a credit with a with a with a credit union, you are. It's 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 a it's a it's a it's a community of of you know I'm a member of that process, so it's a little bit different. So their mentality is a little, a little bit different. Bit, a little bit. A little bit. But with a bank, they don't care, right? So how many times have you heard? Oh, we're going to do zero percent down for a year on this credit card. Mm. And people would like, oh, good, good, good. I'm just going to load it up, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the year, you've got ten thousand dollars. They're like, oh, it's thirty percent now. Yep. Oh, I'm sorry, it's thirty percent now. Sorry, sorry. That's just the way it is and do you think by the way do you think that the eviction avalanche that's coming in the next month or two because the the what is it called Uh, when they stopped evictions they're like hey everybody you can't evict anybody for 12 months because you know we're in the middle of a crisis you still owe that money oh i got a look i got a i got a letter from my mortgage company who said hey you know if you guys are having problems you know we can defer like 90 days Okay. And I was like, oh, cool. They're going to add the 90 days at the end, which would make sense if you're trying to help me. <laughs> if you're trying to help me, you're going to put those, th- you're going to get your money, but yeah. you're just going to wait three months. Correct. No, no, no. When you read the fine print, it says, oh, no, but after the 90 days, it's old. Oh, you wow. what I'm saying? Yeah. But you see, but. My friend just told me about that. He's a landlord. He's like, yeah, look at this. I thought it was a good deal until I read the fine print. This is the world we live in. So yeah. if you're angry about it, I'm sorry. This is just, unfortunately, the state of the world that we live in. It Should it be different? Absolutely. Should there be more ethics in business? Absolutely. Should there be more of a win-win scenario for people? Absolutely. But that is not the society that we live in. And this definitely not the industry that we live in. Well, as far the as the film industry. Here's the deal. It, if you want that, then somebody needs to be able to willing to take their time and you get to make that, right? Like if you hate it so much that we don't have one of those situations, uh, okay, great. It's a great opportunity for you to create a product that will be exactly what you want. Otherwise, or even if that's what you want to do, you just got to learn the rules. You got to learn the rules of the game that you're willing to play. And play to the best of your ability. That's all. That's that's that. And that Listen, and that's not just film. That's life. That's business. When people talk about ta- my wife's an accountant, so people will talk about taxes. You know, like, oh, it's these tax loopholes. Like, you mean tax laws? There, there are no loopholes. There's tax. There's tax laws that you can or cannot take advantage of. It's your call, your decision. And instead of fighting the fact that the people who wrote the laws for taxes were probably business people and tax, tax professionals who are self-employed or business owners, and a lot of people in, in government have a lot of money, so the tax laws benefit people with more money than people with less money, and people who are uh, working on a passive income versus people on you know, active income. Maybe you just want to copy what they're doing that's working for now, until you can change things. Mm-hmm. Thought, just just follow what they're doing because they wrote the rules oh, to benefit them. Just a thought. I don't know. Mike. Uh, again, you can be angry at the system, <laughs> or you, which is going to do nothing, or you could just decide to not play, or you decide to to do your own thing. 
So that's what I decided. I decided to build my own thing up. And now because of I've built my own thing up, now all those people that I couldn't get to before reach out to me. Right. And I have access to these people before because well, I have so enticing they they don't have a choice but to contact. They don't feel Tyler Tyler is a, a, the same thing at a much, much larger scale. Um, but, he's, but that's what he does. And he doesn't care about Hollywood. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't need he doesn't, to care. <laughs> he doesn't care that he's not been nominated for anything, hasn't been to an Oscars. He doesn't care. He's good. He's good. What are you, what are you doing this for, though? Good. Just have a conversation of, like, what's your goal? Because... Some of us right. want to get in and want, they want the Oscar, they want the accolades, and they want to be Hollywood. And some people, my goal has always been, how do we put things together so mm-hmm. that uh, uh, you can have a middle film class. Somebody can make 50 to 60 a year, pay their bills, put out a couple projects a year, and that's what they get to do. And maybe they do a job on the side, but they're primarily a filmmaker, actor, or whatever, making a decent income, creating content. And it's like, well, what do we do in order to facilitate that? A lot of that's what's covered in Film Entrepreneur. And a lot of it is figuring out if the distribution, figuring out the distribution situation. And if it's not working for you, figure out some kind of a way to do that. Um, that will work for your end goal. Is it, uh, Lewis, is it Louis C.K. who has all his stuff is run, was run through his website. He didn't need to do Netflix specials. Am I getting that right? He's a gentleman that, that had that ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was the one that first started it. He, he, he. Before his whole, you know, thing that happened to him, he Got actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, before all that, um, he decided to go directly to his consumer. He's like, well, why, why do I have to, you know, go these guys or that guy? Now, don't get me wrong; it takes more work to do things like that, but the benefits could be a lot more. You know, look, if I could get a Netflix deal for one of my movies, I'd take that in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. I sold my first film to Hulu. Um, yes, this is Matt, correct? Wow. Yeah, this is Meg. Yeah, I shot uh, the first ones. We sold it. We sold the license to it for Hulu for a year, and it it was great. It was fantastic, Um, but it didn't stop me from doing everything else. You know, it's just an additional. It's an additional marketing arm for my products and what I'm trying to do and and trying to get out there for people. What is your end game? My end game? Well, obviously world domination. But other than that, um, no, no, joke. I'm joking. Um, no, my, my end game, man, is to build, I want to build up an um, a organization that can be of great service to filmmakers, to screenwriters coming up. I want to be the leading uh, place for education um, right. for filmmakers, from real, for real education for filmmakers and screenwriters um, and anybody in the industry trying to come up. I want to be that source for them and then build out from there, build out foundations to help um, filmmakers um, and give people opportunities that might not. Now, this all takes money. This all takes power um, and and strength. That you know, it takes time to build. You know, if I had a hundred million dollars, I could do a whole hell of a lot. I wouldn't just sit on a beach. That's just not me. I can't do that. You know, maybe a week or two. Don't get me wrong. And it have obviously be sick. But if I had a hundred million dollars, the beach would be mine. Let's just talk about it straight. It would be my beach. It'd be so. Let's just. Uh, I got an idea for a resort in Costa Rica. However, ready. I'm saying. Um, but no. But seriously, I want to do as much good and be of as much service to my community as humanly possible. And hopefully, can branch out to other communities as well and teach as much as I can and and be of service. At the end of the day, 
It's about being of service. And I, I don't think that money is a dirty word. Without money, without revenue, this, this, this ship can't go. Right. Period. And, I, and, and that's why I try to be as best I can with what I sell, how I do. But if you notice, if you guys have been following me for a while, you notice I give away 95% of my content. Okay. It's free. So I can't, you know, I don't put, look, that episode that I did with the distributor, if I would have charged 25 bucks, right? <laughs> right like if, no, be honest. Like if I would have put that out there for 25 bucks to get access to that all day, all yeah. day, I would have probably made a pretty penny selling it. But you know what? That's not the point of that. If you want more information about distribution, there's going to be a course on that. And I'm going to teach you that. But there's so much, if you want to go hunt and peck through 400 episodes, knock yourself out. It is there <laughs> for you. And even then, you still won't get everything that you'll find in, in that or in the book, for that matter. There's a lot of stuff that I talk about on my podcast that's in the book, but not at the same depth. Right. You know, Copy. not at the same level. Yeah. It's introductory well, Alex, stuff. Yeah. I can tell you this. Because of this, <laughs> that's a great I'm shirt. I love it. I love it. Yes, I did it. I'm going to take your course because I want to learn how to take this. I mean, think of the name. It The name will, will sell because of the name, right? Sure. But I want to I want to take this and see how I can basically make the platform to go further. So first of all, that and, name. And this is an ancillary. Uh, product lines. First of all, I love that title. So, I love that brand. Thank uh, you. you need to trademark right. that. You need to trademark that right away. Oh yes, it's already on its way. You already yeah. trademarked it. You already it's it's already filed. It's filed. Good. Okay. Good. File that. Um, that's a great brand. Uh, and you. it's about. <laughs> it's a fantastic brand. It's a fantastic brand. Um, it's awesome. It's awesome. I love it. It's awesome. Um, I'm like I'm like kind of I'm, like, I'm a little speechless about that brand because it's so good. I was not <laughs> in the plan. But uh, it's so good. No, no. But you know what? No, I got a point. Like, listen, listen. Uh, hustle represent. Uh, hustle can see hustle, and uh, we smell it. And that's a good brand to do. You could do a lot with that brand. So see, the second you put that up there, my, when my head hurt, my my head hurts. The way my head starts thinking, I'm like, oh, he could do this, and he can go down that way. Yes. This, yes. this, this. That's what I like that's where I already I was I'm already there I'm I've already made you three million dollars like in my head wow. without even like blinking because I'm like oh he could oh yeah and then this over here and because the, oh, of and the then, name sometimes the over name. there like yes oh, yeah. well, that's just the way my head is that's what it is Alex is gonna be the next Gary V <laughs> to come in like Alex we need to fund Austin Action Fest we need bigger what do we need to do he's gonna come in for a couple hours. And tell us how to fix that. Oh, I do have, I do have consult. I do consulting. I do coaching. It's, it's. I'm fairly affordable. Actually, too affordable. I gotta raise my rates, but uh, I'm fairly affordable um, for coaching and consulting. I do actually do that to brands and companies and things like that. I kind of come in and and look at things and go, okay, guys. You have a new revenue revenue stream of helping us. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love what you guys are doing. I think it's uh, it's very very cool. Got you, we we definitely appreciate everything you coming out with us today. We have another. It's a back to back to back all day. But uh, if people want to follow you, they want to stay in contact with you. And we've had people asking how to get involved in film and things like that. Give us like three best ways to stay in contact with you, Alex Ferrari. 
Um, best way to get a hold of me is at IndieFilmHustle.com. You, you can hit the contact there. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find online. It's not hard to find me. Um, IndieFilmHustle.com. Screenwriting would be BulletproofScreenwriting.tv. Um, if you want to more, learn about more about the film entrepreneur, you can type in FilmmakingBusiness.com or just FilmEntrepreneur.com. Takes you both to the same place. Um, you can get a copy of the book for free on Audible uh, if you go to FilmBizBook.com. Um, and when I say free, uh, I get paid regardless. So don't worry about it if you want to support. Uh, it's just an, I actually get paid more if you get it for free. That's a whole other hustle uh, on the side, but it costs you nothing else uh, yeah. to get it. Um, that's a conversation for another podcast. Um, and then uh, if you want consulting or anything like that, AlexFerrari.com uh, is my main uh, site to me. And then on social media, I'm at Indie Film Hustle pretty much everywhere except for uh, Instagram, which I'm iFilm Hustle there. But I, I'm pretty much. Huh? Oh, yeah. And if you want to learn about film distribution, you need to go to the Protect Yourself from Predatory Film Distributors and Aggregators <laughs> Facebook group. Say that 10 times real fast. Specific. I mean, I couldn't get, I couldn't get more specific if I tried. Um, but it is, and it's grown to over, tw we're almost at 2,300 um, filmmakers there and it grows more and more every day. It's become the beacon of light in the distribution space for people to um, uh, kind of find out what's going on and who they trust and what film companies to work with, film distributors to work with and stuff. People talk to each other there and I think it's something that we need to do more and more of. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so Could much. Could you please repeat your class, your course one more time so everybody can hear that, the course that you're offering? Sure. The course is, uh, the new course is called Film Distribution Confidential, What Predatory Film Distributors Don't Want You to Know. Um, and you can, you can find that at ifhacademy.com. Uh, currently, the beta version is open. So that means at a very steep discount, you can log in and get right now access to the course. And as I'm building out the course, you'll get new lessons uh, weekly. And you could actually talk to me, go back and forth, ask for specific questions to be answered, things like that. So you help me build out that. So that's at ifhacademy.com is where that course is. There's a Suzanne Lyons Indie Film Producing course, which our best-selling course right now is there as well, uh, that workshop, and a bunch of other uh, great education that we're building out at IFH Academy, trying to, trying to help the peeps as best we can. All right, we're going to go check it out ourselves because uh, we want to see how we can better help people in the distribution space. And we're going to be asking you, we'll have some continuing conversations about how we can do this better for filmmakers and how to get their distrib distribution and sales agent process more streamlined. So thank you so much, Alex. It's oh, it's a pleasure. Dream come true. Thank you. It's uh, a pleasure to be here, guys. Thank you so much for having me and keep doing the good work that you guys are doing. Thank you for listening to the Awesome Action Fest podcast.